Well, uh, we are in the book of Acts, and as I was studying our passage today, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine years ago. And we were talking about the mission of the church and what it means to follow Jesus. And as I remember it, the conversation was somewhat heated. Uh, There were some disagreements, and we weren't being disrespectful or anything, but we were definitely passionate about our views on these specific subjects. And after about 30 minutes of back and forth and what we were talking about, the two of us finished up our coffees and we headed out the door, and we said our goodbyes. And as he was about to leave, he said something to me that to this day I have never forgotten. As he was leaving, he turned back to me and he said, you know, Ryan, I just never want you to forget that we aren't called to be effective. We're only called to be faithful. And then he left. I mean, talk about mic drop in a conversation, right? Now, I was a really young pastor at the time. I was naive. I was very impressionable in so many ways. But those words have hung in my brain for decades. Now, to be fair, my friend wasn't necessarily arguing that we shouldn't uh, seek to have impact in our world or see the kingdom of God grow in the world. He was, however, making it very clear as to where our attention should be as pastors, in my case, and as followers of Jesus. And my friend's statement was really a, a reality check for me that day. I was a young pastor, and I was seeking success in my ministry. I, I wanted to, the numbers, so to speak, to match the work that I was putting in. And I had to ask myself the hard question, am I seeking a life of success and f- effectiveness, or am I seeking a life of faithfulness? Because while faithfulness may not bring about the success and effectiveness as we would like to measure it, it is the only thing that A, pleases God, and B, will bring lasting change and redemption into our lives and into the world. So let me ask you this. Are you seeking a life of success and effectiveness Or are you seeking a life of faithfulness? And maybe even more important, what does it even mean or look like to live a life of faithfulness? Or better yet, how might we become a more faithful people of God? To get to the bottom of that, I want to open up back to the book of Acts. If you haven't done so yet, you can grab the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, It's on your phone. You can download it, go to more events and follow along with everything I'm going to cover, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 again today. Now, quick recap from last week. At the start of Acts chapter 20, Paul leaves Ephesus after spending two years there. And he makes his way through Greece and Macedonia on his way to Troas. And it's there that one of the stranger stories in the New Testament, and especially the book of Acts, occurs. You may remember it. While Paul is preaching, late into the night in an upper room in someone's home, a young man named Eutychus dozes off, which can happen in church. I get it, okay? If you didn't see, weren't here last week, you missed it, go back, listen to that message, okay? He dozes off in a windowsill, which I do not recommend you do if you're going to sleep, and he falls three stories to his death. Now, fortunately, uh, the Holy Spirit is able to revive him, bring him back to life through the power, uh, through, young, the, through Paul, and the young man is revived, and he's well, and he goes home. 
And Paul would spend about a week in Troas before he decides to move on in his travels. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 20, verse 13. Paul went by land to Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him. While we traveled by ship, he joined us there and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed to the island of Samos. And a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when he landed in Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. Okay, bit of a geography lesson here. Okay, I understand that those are a lot of cities and towns that you may have never heard of. So let me just give you an idea of where Paul is, just so you kind of know, like, oh, this is where Paul is and where he's headed. So you can see on this map, he is the, the larger dashed line is actually his way out into Greece and down to the bottom part of Greece. The dotted line is him coming back now. You can see he's made his way back to Troas, which is at the top of the, ma the, the map there, just on the side of what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's sailing his way down to Miletus at the bottom part of Turkey. Eventually, he's going to make his way all the way over to Jerusalem. Okay, Paul's traveling a lot here. This is a ton of miles. Like from, from uh, verse 16, or excuse me, yeah, from verse uh, 12 to verse 13, he's traveling hundreds of miles. Okay, There's a lot of space between that. Paul is putting in a lot of time to get from place to place to place. But he's making his way down to Miletus. And one of the things that he asks is he doesn't stop at Ephesus, which is just north of Miletus. Instead, he asks those in Ephesus to make their way down to Miletus, which is no easy task. They could have taken a ship, but most likely they walked, rode donkeys, camels, something to make their way down. It was probably a day or two worth of travel for them to meet Paul in Miletus. And as you can see, his travels are getting him where he needs to go. And if you remember, where he needs to get to is Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is suffering. It's under great persecution at this time. And so Paul is making this trip around Greece and Asia Minor to collect money so that he can bring it back to the church in Jerusalem and be able to provide for them through this very, very difficult time. And so he also knows something about this travel. He knows, and we'll find out more in this passage, that this is some of his final moments in this area. So he invites those from Ephesus to come down and meet him because he wants to meet with them one last time before he heads to Jerusalem, where then his eyes will be on Rome. And so here's where we pick it up, verse 18. And I want to note here, as we pick it up in verse 18, you're going to see Paul's heart, his pastoral heart, on full display for everyone who's present. Verse 18. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews I never shrank back from telling you what, I needed, what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. So here you can imagine the scene, all of these leaders 
from surrounding churches, including the church in Ephesus, which is booming at this point, gathered together, and Paul is bearing his soul to them. You can, you can almost hear the desperation in his voice. He wants the leaders from Ephesus and those who are present to hear his heart, not just what he knows, not just what he's learned, but to really hear his heart. And so he tells them, I've worked humbly and tearfully. I have endured numerous sufferings, and I have done it all, while never holding back on what needs to be said to those inside the church and those outside the church. Which, if you remember, up until this point, when Paul speaks and he says some of the hard things, it also gets him in very hot water. And then Paul reiterates what is of most importance to him. The message above all messages, the only thing that he knows is worth preaching. And he reiterates that it is this same message that exists for all people. It does not matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, if you're Greek, if you're Turkish, it doesn't matter. This is for all people. Whether we know all of the scriptures or we know none, Paul consistently and continuously says to those who are listening, repent from sin, turn to God, and have faith in Jesus. Now, from Paul's letters that he writes to the church in Corinth, in Ephesus, Galatia, Philippi, we, we know that Paul talks about all sorts of things. If you read those letters, you'll just hear him talk about all different topics and subjects. He'll talk about marriage and parenting and the church. He'll talk about church discipline and service and generosity. But at the heart of all of it for Paul is this one message. Repent and place your faith in Jesus. He keeps coming back to that. And as these leaders of the church gather, he reminds them, look, all of the things that I've said, it boils down to one thing for all people for all time. Repent, turn to God, and have faith in Jesus. And he emphasizes this one message because it is so important to what he is telling those he's who are listening. And he's telling it, too, because it is something that matters in terms of what it means to be faithful. Verse 22, Paul goes on, he says, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Now again, Paul's trip through Macedonia and Greece, modern-day Turkey, it really is not only to connect with the churches in the area, but it's also to raise these funds for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul seems to have been hinting all throughout chapters 19 and 20 that, that this is the last time that these people are going to see him. In previous passages, he seems to be indicating that this is his final lap. And by verse 25, right here, he confirms it. 
He says, this is the last time you're going to see me. You'll, you'll never see me again. But uh, there's a couple things I want you to notice from Paul's words in this section of the passage. First, Paul makes it very clear what his purpose on this earth is. His purpose has been to be faithful to his calling of telling others the good news of Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, my life is worth nothing to me unless I'm seen as successful and effective. He doesn't say, my life is worth nothing to me unless I reach this goal or this milestone. The only measure by which Paul is concerned is his level of faithfulness to what God has called him to do. And faithful he was. I mean, Paul even acknowledges that his faithfulness has been true in verse 26. With confidence, which Paul never lacked confidence, but with confidence, Paul says, I declare today that I have been faithful. He knows it. I have been faithful. It's clear that Paul has done a lot of thinking and you know, reflecting on his life during these final days of his travels back to Jerusalem. It's becoming more and more clear to Paul that his ministry days are numbered, and he's re reflecting upon, have I been faithful? Forget about the churches and the people and the numbers and all that's going. Have I been faithful? I mean, even the Holy Spirit is whispering to him that trouble awaits, that suffering awaits when he goes to Jerusalem. And upon his reflection, he comes to the realization that he has accomplished what is of most value to him, and he will continue to walk in that vein. He has been faithful. Through thick and thin, Paul remained faithful. Through temptation, through trial, Paul never wavers. Through suffering and through pain, Paul is resilient. You know, I wonder if we took a minute to reflect on our, our lives, what adjectives might come to mind that would describe us? Would faithful top the very list? Would we even want it to top the list? Would it even make the top 10? I don't know about you, but from all I know of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and of Paul and other authors of Scripture, what I want people to say more than anything else at the end of my life, what I want people to say about me when I am long gone is he was faithful. I really, I really don't want to primarily be remembered for whatever success or lack of success or effectiveness I may have had in this life. There were times, especially when I was younger, and I know I'm not, you know, that much older, you know, but when I was in my 20s, where it was all about success and effectiveness, I wanted people to know that I was good at what I did, and I was good at what I did. But I was not concerned about faithfulness. And I'm telling you, as I read the scriptures, I become more and more convicted and convinced that the end goal of the, the Christian life is faithfulness to what God has called us to. And I want the same for you, and I want the same for this church. I want you to be known now 
and after you're gone from this earth as someone who was faithful. Faithful in following Jesus wherever he has placed you. Faithful in carrying out the mission of the kingdom of God in this world in whatever way he has called you. Faithful in being an ambassador and a representative of Jesus Christ in our world, bringing the good news to every nook and cranny that we enter into. But here's the thing. For this to happen, it will require us to continuously go back to that one message Paul preached over and over and over again. I refer to it as the faithfulness equation. Some of you don't like math. That's okay. <laughs> this isn't going to include numbers, I promise, okay? So I just want to go back to verse 21 for a moment because here Paul lists what I call the equation, if you will, the recipe, the ingredients for living a faithful life. Paul says, and I read it again, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul says, when you boil it all down, the Christian life following Jesus comes down to two things. Repent and turn to God and have faith in Jesus. That is Paul's singular message to all people all time. When you read, say, the, the book of 1 Corinthians or the book of 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about subjects like sexual immorality or parenting or finances, everything boils down to those two things. Repent and have faith in Jesus. Repent and have faith in Jesus. Now, if you aren't familiar with the word repent, it's really not like a dirty word or anything like that, okay? It's simply a turning a turning away from one thing and a turning towards another. And so when Paul says, I want you to repent, he's saying, I want you to turn from that way that you've been living that's evil and wicked and sinful, and I want you to turn towards goodness and love and mercy in God, to repent and to then have faith in who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has called you to do. Repent and have faith. These two things are the two pieces of someone living a faithful life. They're like the, the two sides to a faithfulness coin, if you will. And for Paul, to live a faithful life actually requires a dual response. Have faith, yes, but also repent. Bringing these two together, this is the secret sauce to living a faithful life. It's really no more complicated than that. It's quite simple. It's difficult, but it's simple. So if Paul were a math genius, and I don't know if he was or not, I'm going to say no, but if he were a math genius, he might have written this faithfulness equation like this. Faith plus repentance equals faithfulness. Faith plus repentance equals faithfulness. Now, I realize there's a lot of nuances to this, Okay? But I believe that this is at the very heart of what it means to live a faithful life. Now, on the one side, you have faith, right? Faith is described by the author of Hebrews in this way. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But as one author says, faith is more than just an intellectual agreement Genuine biblical faith expresses itself in daily life. 
Or James, the brother of Jesus and author of the book of James, he says it like this. He says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You can say you have faith and live as if you don't. You can do that. And so, in other words, to have a faithful life, to be faithful with your life, it's not just about knowing and believing in Jesus and the gospel message. I know a lot of people who say, I know Jesus, I believe he died for our sins, and they have no faith in him whatsoever. To be faithful requires a response in real time and in real space. Faithfulness is more than just saying, I believe. Faithfulness requires action that shows, I believe. There's an old illustration. Some of you have maybe heard this, but I think it's good for this. I mean, imagine you're at Niagara Falls, and there's a guy going across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, which somebody's done before. And um, you, you watch him go back and forth, and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. He's never going to fall. It's just not going to happen. And then he decides to push a wheelbarrow across, right? And then at one point, he comes back, and he asks for a volunteer to jump in the wheelbarrow and go across with him. Now, you may believe that if someone gets in there, he's going to be able to bring them there and back. But you are not going to exhibit faith in him until you get in the wheelbarrow and ride across the Niagara Falls. Do you see the difference? Right? So you, you can believe, oh yeah, God and Jesus and all that, and not actually have faith. If you want to live a faithful life, you have to make decisions and place your trust in Jesus in real time and in real space. When you step out the door in the morning... Your decision-making will determine your level of faith, how much trust you have in what God wants to do. Faith requires action. It's why Paul quotes Habakkuk in Romans chapter 1 when he writes, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live, not think. They will live by faith. Now, on the other side of the equation is repentance. We love talking about faith, don't we? Man, fire me up. Let's talk about repentance. Because at first glance, it seems like to be faithful, man, you just need to have a lot of faith, right? Which is true, but not separated from greater levels of repentance in your life as well. Think about it. If I have faith in who Jesus is, wouldn't it make sense that I would also repent of ways that are counterproductive to that faith? Yeah. It wouldn't make sense for me to say, I trust Jesus with my future. I trust, I have faith in Jesus for whatever may come, but then sit in a corner and worry and fret all day. But those two things do not align. It wouldn't make sense if I had faith to share the good news about Jesus, but then lived as if it weren't true. It doesn't make sense to have faith to manage my finances biblically and become increasingly more generous, but then also spend wildly. Those two things don't add up. You see, the faithful life is the sum of a person's faith and repentance. If I'm seeking to live a faithful life, I have faith in living a life free from substance abuse. So I seek recovery and I repent of my past. 
If I'm seeking to live a faithful life, I have faith in Jesus and I worship him on Sundays and I repent of any false gods or idols I may have set up in my life. If I'm seeking to live a faithful life, I have to faith to work with integrity and I repent of the ways in which I have cheated or lied my way to get to where I am. You see how this works. Faith plus repentance equals faithfulness. Paul preaches this one message over and over and over again. Now, what's interesting is that if we aren't careful, we can get caught up in the whirlwind of one or the other. I will hear people talk about a situation they're dealing with, and they'll say something like, you know, I just, I just need to have more faith that this is going to happen or God will come through. And when I look at this situation, what I want to do I don't, but what I want to do is yell at them and say, you don't need more faith. You need a lot more repentance to be faithful in this area, right? My my finances are a mess. I'm just going to have faith that God is going to take care of this. You've been there before, right? I mean, I don't want to change my ways. I just want to have faith that God is going to change this. And I just want to be like, repent and turn to God. My marriage has fallen apart. I just, I just want to have faith that God is just miraculously going to make this change. And God is going, stop being such a jerk to your wife. Man up to your issues. Deal with your problems. I will be here for you. Have faith that I will trust. But you have got to repent if you want to be faithful in your marriage. And we preaching now. Okay, five of you are listening. You got to get more on board. Here we go. I really don't want you to miss this because it is so easy to come to church and walk out the doors and go, man, I have so much faith in God. But never change a thing about what God is asking us to do next. And so many of us walk through life claiming, I am living this faithful life when we are holding on to all of these sinful ways. And God is calling us out of that into the abundance of life, a faithful life. And as long as we hold on to those things, we will never live a life of faithfulness. You know, in many ways, this would be the beginning of the end for Paul. The road he's about to travel will be one of the hardest roads that he will have to travel in his life. But through it all, Paul has, and he continues to remain faithful, regardless of what the results may bring. He will seek faith and repentance all the way to the end. And as he reflects on his life in Acts chapter 20, he says, I declare that I have been faithful, that that I have lived by this one message. I have not just said it. I have not just preached it. I have lived it. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, repenting daily, not just once, daily of the ways in which I fall short, allowing God's kindness to bring me back time and time again. Paul says, I have been faithful. 
And he's telling these leaders in this room, he's saying, I want this for you. As you go back to your churches in Ephesus and Troas or wherever you've come from, be faithful. The goal is not success or effectiveness as we might imagine it in our minds. The goal is faithfulness. So stick to this one message. Have faith in Jesus. Trust him with all of you. Surrender your life to him. Look deeply in the ways in which you have turned away from him in the sinful patterns that you have built up in your life and repent of those. Turn towards God. Live a faithful life. God has not called you to be effective and successful. Now, those things may come, but that is not what he's called you to do. God has called you to simply be faithful, to place your trust in him, all of it, to repent of the ways in which he's calling us by his kindness out of sin. And so like Paul, I bring this one message to you today. Repent, turn towards God, have faith in Jesus Christ. Follow him, walk with him. This is the equation for a life of faithfulness. Let's pray. God, I confess that mm, I can often get consumed with success and effectiveness. I mean, we want that. We do. But in the kingdom of God, that is not the goal. I pray that this message hits home with us, Lord, that if there are things that are holding us back from living a faithful life, God, that you would reveal that to us, that by your kindness and grace, you would lead us to repentance. You'd bring conviction. God, that you bring support and community. You know, the promise of the gospel is that we are no longer slaves to sin. And so, God, I know that while it's tempting and it's difficult, I know that there is a way forward. I pray, God, that all of us in this room, whatever that might be, God, that you would help us to turn away from the sin in our life and turn towards you, to experience your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness, to surrender our lives completely to you, all pieces of who we are, to place our trust wholly and completely in you. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who gave everything that we might gain everything. Thank you for the payment that he paid on the cross. That he spread his arms wide and he allowed his blood to be shed that we might be forgiven of the ways in which we've turned from you and that he, through his life, death, and resurrection, has now called us back into relationship with you. We place our trust and our faith in him and him alone, not in ourselves, not in anything this world can offer, but in him alone. May he be our guide. May we praise him with our lives each and every day. May we walk from this place living a more faithful life because of what he has done in this space this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.